The time is 6.27pm. And welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sandsbury. And that was the whisper of me playing back the live feed <laughs> in order to keep up with the comments ah. in the background. So that, that's why you get that weird bit. So apologies um, for that. And good evening. It's a bit hot out there, isn't it? Are you telling me? So anybody who's confused by my attire and general look of dishevelment, it is because I have literally um, left the field of play in Hampshire versus Dorset in the Southeast Blind Cricket Development League. I was 18 not out as well. It's the best I've batted in a couple of years. And I had to promise them I had to leave to come and do the podcast. So I, I jogged off, waved the bat to the four corners of the crowd. I don't think it was a crowd. And uh, have jogged on through. So it is a blessing for you that we're not doing this in the studio or uh, or doing it with smell-o-vision, as I have been in the baking sun since about half 11 this morning. So yes, uh, yeah. yeah. No, no football this week. Bit of cricket. A bit of cricket. Mm. Well, okay. I mean, that sounds great. And um, sorry that you had to leave. But the I'm, I'm sorry. I just wish there was video of you running off the pitch all deverish and saying, "I've got a podcast. I've got a podcast." I did warn people in advance, and I wasn't meant to be playing. Okay. Um, but we had a, as we've had the last couple of weeks, a uh, players having to self-isolate. And so that meant I, I, I was eased out of semi-retirement for Hampshire to go and uh, go and give it a go. So um, yes, well, we may touch on that later, as to are there alternatives to self-isolation? Maybe there are, and maybe there's not. Well, according to Robert Jenrick, there are. According to the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, no, there aren't. Come on to that later. <laughs> so what have we got today, Simon? So on Monday, it's the full next full council meeting. Um, which no, is weird. Unnerving. That's unnerving in itself. Yeah, it's normally on a Tuesday. Um, so we will find out later on why it's on a Monday instead of a Tuesday. What's uh, what's occurring to actually make that make that be the case? Um, but um, this uh, full council meeting. So there's there's several things that um, that are interesting on the agenda. Um, so I'm going to breeze through some of it kind of really quickly to say to basically give a passing comment, but the two things that we wanted to discuss in detail today, um, one is the um, there's a, a motion from the Labour group um, basically calling into question um, whether it's a sensible idea to proceed with the proposed um, Tipner West um, development, also known as Lennox Point, I think it's, I think That's it's called the one, now. Yep, Lennox Point. Um, yeah, so the development formerly known as Tipner West. Um, and the other one that we want to talk about, because they're very linked is the liberal democrat motion um about house building targets and we are joined by we will be joined for that um that item um, by council and none other than council leader gerald vernon jackson oh, which is excellent and uh, we will thank him for coming on on his uh on his Sunday evening. On his, and, yes, uh, and his very warm Sunday when he probably was would have rather have been having a peaceful barbecue or something um it just to um just a bit of openness and honesty. Um, we were poorly organised, so left it to the last minute to try and actually organise guests. So although we did invite um, Labour representatives on, unfortunately, um, we weren't able to, you know, Cal, Cal was already um, booked up this evening. So we're sorry to have invited him at such short notice and understand entirely. But the fact that we haven't got someone from Labour to talk about their motion is entirely our fault rather than theirs. 
Yeah, absolutely. And we are going to try and do due diligence and be better people generally by holding over a couple of the uh, key items from this week's council meeting that we'll discuss next Sunday. And we promise to have a cornucopia and an array of guests each more yes. interesting than the last. In indeed. So... Um Whenever I do a rundown of a of a full council meeting, I feel that it could should have like the countdown tune from um from top of the pops. But do you mean the count? Well, that's the dun dun dun. I I I'd gone earlier than that. I'd gone pick of the pops. I didn't realise you were that much older than me. Um. Okay. So. So uh, yes, yeah, so one of the things that we're um, we're going to be talking because it's actually such a such a big thing, and we'd like to talk about it in a bit more detail um, is the local transport plan. So the LTP four adoption. Um, so we'll be covering that next week. We've got one guest secure. We need to need to secure a couple more guests, but um, we've already invited people, so we won't have the same mess that we did this week. So our apologies to that. Um, but it'll be a good one to get through. Um, the there's some normal kind of house housekeeping stuff um in the agenda um regarding portsmouth harbour um regarding a um modern slavery transparency statement all, all kind of normal normal sort of stuff and then about reviewing political proportionality on committees and panels and then we get to the notices of motion so this is the things that are put forward by um any of the councillors um and then and then selected to actually to actually go forward so the the first one up is about pesticide use so that's the uh, that's the one from Jeanette Smith and Claire Udy so they're asking basically why PCC still uses pesticides and we'd like to actually cover that in more detail with the LTP next week because we'd like to know the answer to be honest yeah and to be fair you know look there there is an element of you know, we're, 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 we're going to try and focus next week on green issues. So, you know, it would be lovely if Jeanette or Claire, um, you know, will, would come onto the podcast and, and explain why they've brought that motion. And, um, you know, we can look at how that goes in full council chamber on Monday. Indeed. So, um, so that'd be a nice one. So the second one is one of our big, our big hitting items this evening, which is the Labour motion about um, having a rethink about the development formerly known as Tip West. Um, and then there's a motion about parking for domiciliary care workers, supporting a ban on conversion therapy, which, you know, why it's still a thing, uh, tackling cyberbullying, there's a couple of other, and then we get to the the house building target one, which we're going to be covering um, as the last segment of the of the show today. Um, and then there's 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 a there's a brief motion about Eastney Swimming, the closure of Eastney Swimming Pool. Yes, I think it reads the the, the council um, regrets the closure of regrets Eastney the closure of Eastney Swimming Pool. Yeah, um, and I guess that's a. It's one of those impossible ones to, to to answer, isn't it? It's a bit of a it's a bit of a fork question, which is if you say yes, the answer is ha ha. So why did you close it then? Um, and if you say no, was how heartless of you to the people of Eastney? Um, and and ultimately, you know, again, with some of these things, uh, again, we, when we look through the agenda, there are things that interest us. There are stuff that doesn't, and there are things that you just think, yeah. Yeah, let's just move on from that one. So, if that is that the last one on the list? Uh, it's not. No. Um, so after the um, 
I mean, to be fair, um, if there was a reward for brevity in those, in council motions, yeah, 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 um, no, no, it's it is know. it is concise, is what it is. Yeah, but you know, regretting it isn't the same as you know leaving it open. Um, there's um, then the there's the one about um, so the last motion is is about um, is another Labour motion about biodiversity enhancement in urban Portsmouth. So um, you know, again, there's there's some there's a quite a, a mixture of a flavour of things. Some looks a big old agenda to me. Yeah. Um, well, I'd, I'd be packing snacks. I think. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing for me will be whether they'll be crammed with sh- with shields in place into the council chamber, or whether they'll be um, in the guild hall, as the, you know, in the um, in the main auditorium, the guild hall spaced around like um, um, like a very un- unpopular comedian's gig, um, like they, they were for um, for them. Um, for the mayor making ceremony in the first full council after the local elections in May. So, um, yeah, so we've so got. So, I guess in theory, and that's maybe one we can touch on with Gerald, is that, you know, tomorrow is Freedom Day. All bets are off. All COVID says thank you. All, pre- all precautions are now optional. So, I wonder whether the full council are going to be crammed back into their original arrangements or whether they'll um, be a little bit more circumspect. We shall see, and I'm sure Gerald will be able to um, to um, to to give us the steer on that one. So, um, so this um, so as sadly as I as I explained entirely to, due to our own fault, um, we haven't got someone from Labour to represent their motions. Should we have a? Shall I um, read it out? Yes. For the, um, for those. Okay. So this is the. So it's twelve B. Um, and this is the time to pause and rethink the Tipner West project, and it's proposed by Councillor Cal Corkery and seconded by Councillor Judith Smythe. Increasing numbers of local, local people are raising concerns about the Liberal Democrat administration's plans for Tipner. The council has already spent over £10 million of taxpayer cash, drawing up plans which would see the creation of a super peninsula through large-scale land reclamation at Tipner West. We share the concerns of the Hampshire and Isle of Wight, Wight Wildlife Trust, and the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, who are opposing the destruction of the intertidal mudflats that are legally protected as sites of scientific and environmental importance. Over 23,000 people have signed their petition calling for the proposals not to go ahead, but the council doesn't seem to be listening. Not only would the plans cause unacceptable damage to the local environment and wildlife, we are also concerned that the kind of development being pursued is not what our city needs. Despite most of the Tipner West site being publicly owned land, the current proposals include just 30% affordable housing, meaning the majority of new properties on the site will be expensive luxury homes out of reach for many local people. The council has already spent some £10.8 million on the Tipner regeneration proposals and expects to incur another £7.5 million getting it to the stage of applying for planning permission, figures correct as of Cabinet report in October 2020. Members of the Liberal Democrat cabinet have themselves expressed concerns about being able to secure permission for their current proposals but are still prepared to gamble £18.3 million of public money on something that may well not go ahead. Several important stakeholders including the HIWWT and the RSPB, the Portsmouth Society, heritage groups and others are against the current proposal and are asking for more extensive and effective consultation. This wider community engagement remit should include exploration of alternative proposals and options for developing the site. It's time to pause and rethink the Tipner West project to ensure value for money is achieved, the environment is protected and the maximum possible levels of affordable housing are delivered. 
Full Council therefore calls on the Cabinet to bring a report on the Tipner West project to a future Full Council meeting as a matter of urgency. This report should update councillors and members of the public on the current status of the project, including total spend to date. This report must also include consideration of viable alternative options for the site and set out a timeline for further decisions to be made in advance of the draft local plan being published and consulted on. So that's the that's the Labour motion. Um, mm. And just as an aside, the Hampshire and Isle of Wight uh, Wildlife Trust's website cites that it's um, there's 3,500 houses proposed to be built on the Tipner site, um, and it's 67 acres of protected intertidal habitat and seven acres of protected land, um, and that they've got, well, 23, as we said um, in the motion, 23,300 petition signatories um, so far. Um, and it's a site designated as a site of special scientific um, interest um, and it's also a Ramsar site which um, is a wetland site designated um, to be of international importance under the Ramsar Convention um, which was established in 1971 by UNESCO um, and I see that the live stream appears to have stopped on my screen but can someone comment in the comments whether it's still coming across to the audience that would be great mm. Yeah, something just went bing, but it didn't tell me you had stopped broadcasting. No, um, I think that was a Facebook message. But um, yeah, so that's um, that's where we are with um, with that. So it, it's a controversial idea. I think the um, I mean, I went and looked at the the the, um, the public display of and at, at the moment. These are kind of back of fag packet kind of plans. But the idea seemed to be quite interesting about um, trying to promote a site that. Um, that limited actually the access of motor vehicles um, to the site and provided um, connections for um, cycling and walking to basically onto um, onto is it um, onto basically the other you know the northern part northern part of the, the city of the mainland. So it it looks like a key a key opportunity development, but I guess kind of the, the the key thing is, is in, on balance, is it worth reclaiming all that land from the sea, considering how contentious it is and how um, I believe there's a history of um, pollution on that site? Um, and then actually, you know, so there's, there's lots to, lots to unpack yeah. in Labour's motion. Yeah, I think there is is a lot there. And again, you know, in terms of the pollution and, and again, I, I remember you know, vividly as a, a as a young person driving into Portsmouth. And one of the things that you saw as you looked out the passenger window, you know, was you saw the hulks of submarines and rusting kind of World War Two stuff piled up uh, there. And, and so, you know, it has been a, a, a pretty egregious brownfield site for some time. Um, but it's also been a piece of land waiting to be developed for well a considerable period of time you know it, it, it's that piece where somebody i think is you know it is publicly owned and we've got a chronic shortage of houses in portsmouth so i think you know there is an element of it, it, it's a complex arrangement because of the you know the wildlife impact and and it isn't as waiting to be developed oh was that me yeah sorry that was me trying to get back into the into the live no, no apologies no for problem. the distraction I, I thought 
I thought, well, who's he? I'm playing um, yourself but anyway, back yourself. Um, I, I, I was heckling myself. And so, well, it saves other people the job, doesn't it? Um, and, and one of the things, just as you were reading that there, I, I find in terms of the Aquint, you know, the other side of the island, you know, the Aquint are saying, well, I can't go through Langston Arbor, mate. Uh, it's protected. That's your, that's your mudflats, wading birds. Can't go through there. We're going to have to drive it right up the eastern road, as it were, madam, um, and cause all sorts of disruptions. So the, the, I guess the question is that, you know, will, and I'm not going to use the Lib Dem Council because I don't think it's relevant, will the council actually get permission to do the expansion with that much sight of specific scientific interest in the mix i guess that's the you know that that's kind of the unknown so in that in that respect from a from a progress of the project perspective you kind of um then surely there should be actually some sort of timeline and sensible decision points about at what point do you decide whether it's sensible to continue spending public money of that sort of level on it so to be fair isn't that really what the motion's asking for i think it is and i think you know it is asking a valid question um which is that you know a report needs to come back and needs to tell us how much has been spent but for me it's also about the the chances of success because you know again i i i think i've touched on the podcast before i used to live on the route of the fabled gosport light railway that never came to pass after millions after millions were pulled in you know we've had the recent issue around victory energy where you know there the, the, there was still a belief at some you know amongst some that it, it could still be good it could still make money and then you know however many millions later we've 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 kind of you know just written that off to experience so i guess you know there there is a question about due diligence and I, all right, I'm not a, I'm not a developer, I'm not a house builder, but the interesting piece for me was when you said, you know, I've had a look and they're sort of on the back of a fag packet plans at the minute. You seem to have spent an awful lot of money. You know, if yeah. nearly eleven million pounds gets you to back of a fag packet. Well, to be fair, the back of fag packet is obviously my description rather than the council. No, no, but I'm sure I, they'd say, it's, they'd say, I guess, and I'm being playful, Simon, but yeah. I think the key message for me is that it's clear they are far from the finished article. It, indeed, and I guess that's the, that's the kind of thing of um, part of this is about understanding planning process, isn't it? Is that before you get to a point where actually the planning committee decides whether whether or not to go ahead with a particular development, there's outline planning permission, which is decided by the um, the planning committee. Um, yep. and, and before you kind of get to that point, a developer would need to have, um, you know, detailed architectural drawings drawn up, you know, detailed plans, um, detailed mitigations of um, specific environmental impacts that they'd, they'd need to address or whether they're, you know, whether it's um, a site with historical architecture, for example, all of those sorts of things that kind of need to happen. Um, and if that's, you know, if, if you're talking about, you know, you're, there's a lot of money being put down if you're even if you're talking about to be honest even if you're talking about you know renovating and, and building a building a house you imagine yeah. what that's like if you're trying to basically reclaim part of the sea which one might be able to kind of point out seems um a strange thing to do when we're worried about you know the rising sea well, Dutch are pretty good at it 
I don't know whether that's poorly timed, mate. In a minute. Um. So, um. Yeah, true. But you know, you can't you can't infinitely hold back the tide, as it, as it were. So, so in in you know in in that respect, you've got to kind of you've got to put a lot of money in to investigate. And if it's um, and you just think from a scalable perspective, looking at possibly how much money developers sink into um, potential developments in order to get them to a place where someone can say yes or no, or indeed um, maybe if you had large cladding instead or you know whatever whatever it is that they say and that's just the you know the the appearance stuff without getting into highly technical stuff about um, environmental impact or about potential contamination existing contamination on the site so the the is is 10 million about the going rate for actually what you would look yeah. at of a you know when you're looking to invest in a development of this scale but that doesn't mean we shouldn't think it's a lot of money and we shouldn't have some sort of control as to whether it's a good idea and at what point do we say, do you know what, actually this is a bad and let's move on. Well, I think I guess the other question in play, which is the second piece which they've touched on, is about affordable housing. Yeah. And so if if to get us there before we build anything, mm-hmm. the council spent £17.5 million pounds and there are 3,500 developments then if I've done the sums right in my brain, and bear in mind I'm sun-addled and so I can't guarantee that, I think that means that every dwelling there has to contribute £50,000 to the pot to get that £17.5 million back. Um, I mean, I don't know whether that's a... I, I mean, that's how those numbers work, but whether that's the right way to interpret and get yeah, those yeah. numbers to do that is, is is a different question. But also, if you're thinking 30%, so you're you're talking over a 1,000 homes on that development are yep. um, are going to be affordable, you know, quote-unquote, affordable housing. Now, um, if it's a site that isn't going to be um, so welcoming to car use, um, is it going to be really well served by public transport links? Because... Um, uh, as much as for lots of people it would be a fantastic thing to see that three and a half thousand people cycled off that peninsula um they're not all gonna um and well it's not be three and a half thousand people is it it's gonna be well yeah it's, you know yeah. it's gonna, it's gonna, be, gonna be, be a mix and probably gonna be somewhere between 10 and twenty thousand. yeah I guess so when all the reckoning's done yeah so that you know so either way i mean that it is um i mean it's a massive scale I mean, you're you're talking about a development that's literally the size of, um, you know, it's about a third of some of the council wards in the city, aren't you? Yeah, for, yeah, no, no, it is a, a it's so, a, it's colossal. And again, you know, if you if you follow local, you know, local these local building towns, I see. I think it's about the same sort of size as the, as the, kind of, forever dreamt of Wellborn that's supposed to come out. The back of Fairham, right? Um, you know, again, which is almost a sort of, almost considered like a new town in itself. So, did it? Did yeah, it, 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 it? Did that it, go well? It, and was it born? Uh, it, it has yet to be born, and things, as it stands, <laughs> okay. have not gone well. So, um, so, um, so even 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 further behind than a than a Millennium Tower. Um, that um, so it. I I don't I I'm if I'm if I'm honest I kind of. When you look at the f- the fundamentals of actually there's some, there's some elements to what I saw in in the in the and again these are you know these are you know digital artists impressions and and suggestions about what sorts of things they were looking about um, looking at 
I thought they were actually quite exciting ideas. Um, but whether whether the impact of doing that and whether the cost of doing all of those things is actually going to you know going to be worth it. Um, but you've also got to marry that against there is a substantial housing need in the city. There definitely is a substantial need for more affordable housing in in the city. Um, do you know? Do we want all of you know? We want affordable housing spread at different parts of the city, don't we? Because surely the people that you know the people that need affordable housing, we don't just want them kind of in one enclave that's pretty much an island. Uh, you know that that doesn't seem a, a right way to um to to have the city kind of set up. So I, I think there's lots of there's lots of moving parts to this. Um, but again, that to me, that just makes it even more sensible why you'd keep reporting on it and saying, OK, this is where we're at. You know, actually, we're talking about something that's going to happen maybe in the next 10 years. Or is it longer than that? You know, how what's the it what's the timeline like? It can't be, though, can it? That's the that's the challenge with it, Simon, is that you've got a situation where, you know, I think most people accept and we're going to come on to it in a minute that we have got a chronic housing shortage now. But. You know, so there's an element of punting it X years, and this is this is the bit with something like this that that kind of maybe speaks a little bit to the the you know the topic we've touched on before about can you do things strategically if you're going to have to campaign to survive again next year? You know, who is dry? Who's driving this on with a sense of urgency? Yeah. So, so yeah, there, there's all of those all of those things that are kind of happening, and I and I guess. If if you're not if you're not putting the houses there, where else are you putting them? And I guess that you know that kind of speaks to the thing that we'll be talking about with 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 Gerald later on. Um, but don't we want council our council to have bold visions and bold plans? Um, we want them to be bold. We don't want them to be reckless. So you know, in in that respect, I, I noticed that the language raises the concerns but doesn't say actually we think the entire thing is a completely rubbish idea and you shouldn't no, do it and, and you're absolutely spot on it is a measured tone that says should it be rethunk and I, I don't know whether that you know I don't know whether that's fewer dwellings that's less ambitious land reclaim and, and that's where I think it would be important to kind of work that through because you know the if to get you to wherever you need to get to, you're going to spend £17 million. If you go for 2000 let, let's no, let's make the maths easy for me, which is if you go for 1,750 homes, well, they've each got to contribute £100,000 to recover that money that you spent getting there. Well, that then makes them very difficult to be affordable housing. Yeah, I mean that's working off the premise that you're assuming that the council intends to get that money back. Well, you'd hope so. It, it was my taxes. It was your taxes. I'd hope they didn't. Yeah, but I mean it's just a presumption. I'm not. I'm not. You know, I'd, yeah, we, yeah. we don't know either either way. But it's. Um. But also, you know, we talk about obviously the demands about the demand for housing in the city and the demands for particular types of housing and demand for affordable housing. Um, it's an island. You know, we're the only island city in the country. We're the second yep. most densely populated city in the in the country, second only only to London. Um, and actually, when you when you look at it, one of the only ways to increase the amount of footage on the island 
is to reclaim some land. It's to make the, it's to make the island bigger somehow. Which, which historically is obviously what happened because, you know, the island isn't this, wasn't originally this size and wasn't originally this shape. So people with, with actually more thorough historical knowledge will be able to comment on exactly what and how. But when you look at older maps of the city, it didn't look, it didn't have this footprint. So, but of course you don't want to, you know, you, there's obviously a limit. You don't want to fill in the harbour for crying out loud. That's the whole point of having Portsmouth. Um, so, I, I don't know. It's it, it's a difficult one, but I just think that sometimes some of these, some of these, the concern for me is when it when when and I want our councils to be bold. I want them to be visionary. I don't want them to be reckless. So I want them to do to do that with you know with a bit of a rein on kind of and having a bit of a forethought about how they do things because where they really take risks. To be honest, councils have a history of getting really bitten bitten on the backside because businesses invariably set the terms to favour them and actually um, do do over councils. So I want visionary, I want bold, but I want I want thought thought and responsibility and I, I you know I want a, a bit of an idea to make sure that we don't suddenly wake up and find ourselves 50 million in debt. Um but I think we're uh, I think we're voting for this one. Yeah, I th- I think I, to be fair I, I I think we are, but there is a bit of me that kind of thinks actually is and I'm trying not to steal the subject matter for the for the next segment but is are some of the really bold things that need to be done these sorts of developments that are talking about reclamation or about new builds of areas are those things that are actually better handled by central government um and how do you ma- how do you manage that relationship between the the local need the f- the project being so big that it almost almost that causes it to be something that actually needs to be managed you know centrally but at the same time you also don't want to ride roughshod over the planning concerns of local residents because you know speaking to the back end of the aquin thing you know the whole idea of that it being a nationally um a nationally important infrastructure project means that the council don't get to say anything really don't get to say no um, well, and it, it also echoes back to last week's episode where the developer walked in through the plans on the table and said, right, I'm turning these dwellings from three-bed into six-bed HMOs. Don't bother put, putting up a fight because if you do, I'm going to take you to appeal and I'll win. So just sign here and here and here, sweetheart. Yeah, I mean, to um, be, yeah, they didn't quite word it that way, but that was the tone right, of it I'm, and... and um, I'm dramatising for effect, yeah. but the basic yeah. thrust was that, wasn't it? It, it, it was it, a yeah. They they, po- they pointed out that um, I think there was some words to the effect of um, the planning committee will be aware that previous um, applications similar to this one that have been uh, refused have been overturned on appeal, and um, and the council has been left um, to fit the cost of that. Um, yes, so whilst it, twerking. They were, they, yeah, the guy was, he, he honestly wasn't twerking. Um, I think he was. Uh, he, Inside he was. I, 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 <laughs> this is going to take us into a, into a realm of thought that, uh, that I don't no, think we I want to go but, No, but I think, I think uh, look, and we're being... We're yeah, being we've gone off tangent. ...comic effect. Just a little no, bit. What, what the, the key message is that, you know, it, it is that element of... Yeah, commercial developers believe that they hold all the cards, don't they? Yeah. And, you know, this development is being handled by the council. And I think their, you know, their motivation 
you know, despite their Lib Demness, I think is I think is pure and noble and trying to do what's best for the city. But there's an element of, you know, is it is it going to be cost effective? Um, and you know, I, the environmental thing. Tough one, isn't it? Well, it is, and I, I remember from elsewhere that there's also a concern that um, as sea levels are predicted to rise, the, con- the existing contamination that's on the land, the issue will be is that's going to get washed into the into the harbour anyway. Um, and the only way to secure the money to deal with that is to develop the land. So yes. it, it's a kind of like a that's a, that's not even chicken and egg. That's that's like chicken and omelette, isn't it? Really, that's. <laughs> <laughs> it is and it also asks the question doesn't it that you know well these are these are lovely you know wetlands what are they going to be in 10 years time underwater oh so the greater greater crested arctic grebe that currently fertiles about on them isn't going to be fertiling about on them in 10 years time anyway because they'll be underwater um and i think you know, yeah that's uh... But we tried, we tried, we tried something similar, didn't we? With the, I saw something with the, we wanted to protect where the geese landed, and we tried to make them a space to land, which we thought was where they'd want to be, and they fundamentally went somewhere else and said, "No, you're right, mate, we'll go well, over here." Yeah, so they... I, I do think when you start to try and engineer that kind of thing, you are in a, you are in a difficult space. Yeah, but you've got to. I mean, you know, just kind of. Th- I mean, the, the trouble is, is we look at our city landscape now. And it's very easy, obviously, um, from visual evidence to see the plans, quote unquote, that were success or that went forward, right? But there was a time when, um, if 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 I'm correct, and someone's going to point out really quickly that I'm not, that that the because when the city had an airport, um, we we had an airport, obviously at Anchorage Park. Um, you know, it's quite clear. You can see this the evidence of you know airport service road and um, the clues pretty clear um but there was at one point i think a, an idea that the bit that is the Farlington marshes that that would make a great site for an international airport because you know you could you know um obviously it's got water directly to the south of it um so it's not built up around it and therefore and it would have great access to the motorway um now i don't know about you but i really enjoy actually walking around Farlington marshes or cycling cycling along the cycle path that's, that's down there so i'm really glad it's not an international airport because it would be horrible um yeah it wouldn't be nice no so you know again we can't build everywhere but how do we deal with the constraints that we have if we had the answer to that in our podcast to be fair um we'd be able to do other things because <laughs> yes we'd be very rich men Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess when we think about the old, um, the eco nature of it, you're, you're a, you're a wheelie warrior. You, you'll get about by bicycle and public transport. If the price was right, is it a development you'd want to live in? Uh, if I'm really honest, and and again, maybe that's my being a bit selfish bias. Is we're not the, so what I looked at, and again, you know, these are artist impressions, and this is this is kind of the idea of the scheme, and this is what we want it to be. I'd actually quite like to live there. I have to be honest. Oh, I, I like yeah. the idea of being somewhere where there's only a road onto and off the site, but all that leads to is an underground car park, and basically the rest of the estate is car-free. To me, that I, I 
I like the I love the idea of that, and I and I think that would be a really exciting and interesting community to build, um, not just in the constructive sense, but also in the sense of how you build a, a community of people. But how that would work out, whether that you know whether you know because not be funny, architectural plans look you know brutalist architecture looks fantastic on drawings or looks brilliant when you first build the tricorn, but <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. It wasn't wasn't as aesthetic as perhaps people hoped. No. I'm, but maybe there's just something wrong with my head because I thought the Tricorn was actually quite a nice building. I liked it. Obviously, it was wildly impractical to use and you know bordering on unhygienic to to um to be around. So you know in that respect. But I I quite liked the you know the the, the way that the shapes worked. But that's just me. Yeah. Yeah. In a minority there. It's not a first for me. No, no, all good. So, um, yes. So, someone, someone's agreeing with me in the comments. Thank you, Cat. Cat. So, I'm glad. I'm glad that I'm, <laughs> I'm not alone. It wasn't the whistling, the sounds of silence. Um, but um, who's that agreeing with you? Um, someone in the comments called Cats. Um, oh, I think that's a first, your first comment um, for the show. So, thank you. Welcome uh, for joining us, Cats. So, so we've we've we're, we're um, we've got um, some people. We have a Gerald in the green room. Well, so let's bring him in. So shall we? Shall we bring in bring in our Gerald? Good evening, Gerald. Good evening, and thank you, thank you for joining us. Your yes. camera's off at the moment. Oh no, yeah. we've got you now. Yeah, it's fine. Are we all well, happy, and cool? Uh, no, I, I as I've sat here podcasting, Gerald. I don't know whether you heard the start. I. I was playing cricket for Blind Hampshire today at Hillsley against Dorset. I've been out in the sun since half eleven, and as the podcast has progressed, I can feel the various areas on my slightly polished head where I didn't get as much sun cream on there as I hoped to. So uh, now I'm I'm feeling the heat at the moment. Uh, Ian, we should do a collection for a hat for you. Yeah. Yes. Or, or the sense to wear uh, wear an appropriate amount of of sunblock. But no, I I, I, I had a hat. There's the, the uh, hat is about. But um, okay. yes, even so. So thank you for coming on, Gerald. Um, before we before we start, a couple of intriguing housekeeping questions uh, that have come from us. The council meeting tomorrow. Why a Monday? Because um, the health and safety view is that being in the council chamber for a 12-hour meeting with us sitting right next door to each other is not safe and therefore we need to find a bigger location and the main auditorium of the guild hall is where we're going to be but it's booked out for three weeks solid for the graduation ceremonies of the university and Uh And but they're not using it tomorrow, so we're uh, using that free day. Well, there we go. That's that a twelve-hour meeting in this heat. Yes, I, I, and again, Simon and I have reviewed the agenda. Um, I think uh, our our message as amateurs is um, take plenty of fluids and snacks because it has it's got the look that it could go on a bit. This one. Yeah, and, and it's increasingly becoming like that. We spend very little time doing stuff, r- real stuff that makes decisions, and a great deal of time signalling what we think to each other. 
but without actually achieving anything. We, we, we have covered many council meetings and, and, and in fact Simon and I um, debated in the week whether we would have a segment in the podcast when we did this called In the Bin where we just looked through the um, various proposals and decided the ones we weren't even going to touch on and just throw them in the bin to save ourselves time and research. So um, you do have our sympathy in terms of, uh, of, of having to go through all of them. It's, it's the price you pay. Um, it's a really interesting job to be able to make things happen in the city. Um, but, but one of the costs of that is having to sit, sit through a 12-hour meeting in this heat, listening to what other people's um, opinions are. Yes, um, while they, while various different people in the council chamber opinion at each other, um, indeed, or at the chair, <laughs> um, <laughs> so that everyone else can listen. Um, there's is part pantomime, part part theatre, part. Um, we just want to show that we care about this thing. So. Um, so the the motion that we invited, and thank you so much for for giving up part of your evening to come discuss it with us, is the so there's the notice of motion about house building targets um, that yourself um, as you've proposed and is seconded by uh, by Councillor Hugh Mason. Um, could you just go into a bit about what the motions what the motions about and and why why you're bringing it forward? Well, I think I'm more interested in finding out if Ian's going to give me a bottle of beer. Um, well, I, if you were here, Gerald, I would obviously. I've I've got a very nice setup in my home office. In that there is a uh, there's a fridge to my right, and I am urgently trying to rehydrate after eight hours in the sun. Okay, they're always cold uh, uh, on the right. That yes. So, so the issue we have, uh, as long along with every other council in the country, is the government has given us a target it for how many houses have to be built in the city and also how how much land needs to be assigned to achieve that target so we have to produce a plan that shows how we can get in a bit over 17,000 new houses built in Portsmouth um, up to 2036 over the next 15 years and which is ludicrous number, uh, completely unachievable, um, and yet we have to do it. And if we don't do it, and we don't put forward a plan that is acceptable, then what we risk is that the protections that the city council has put on open spaces and on employment land. Um, will be removed by the government and the government inspectors and will get a free-for-all from developers. So what we have to do is to come up with a plan and it's really, really difficult. Trying to find space in this city to build an extra 17 and a bit thousand houses over the next 15 years it is, is really tough going. And, and, um, think... and that means we're going... Sorry, Ian. Yep, carry on. Well, no, it just means that what we're going to have to do is we have to highlight a huge list of sites where we made, where we don't want to build, but where if we don't highlight them and the government thinks they're buildable, they, then the local plan that we produce will be thrown out. And, and a, 
Simon and I debated, no, we didn't debate this. It's one of the areas where we sort of violently agreed during the week because my geography of Portsmouth is not great, but it's good enough. And we've just touched upon the Tipner development, which is three and a half thousand. And that's great. But that is the biggest piece of land by, in my, uh, a country mile in terms of the opportunity to build more houses. When I started to cast my mind about in terms of where else might there be, you know, the Northern Quarter development in the city centre has been talked about. And, you know, we've talked about, you know, what what would we build on the former Tricorn site? And, the you know, the council yep. now owns, you know, the Sainsbury's across the way and there's bits of pieces there. But ultimately, you know, that the, the only way I can see of building, well, I, I can't see a way to get to the, the numbers you're talking about, it almost feels going back to that euphemism of the 70s, the quote-unquote concrete jungle, where you build... Yeah, and it's all just cra- cram them in, isn't it? Yeah, 20-storey tw- tower blocks, cheek by jowl, um, which, you know, if history teaches us anything, becomes, you know... Uh, th- those Those estates of the 60s and 70s where we crammed you know, tower blocks into a small area. I don't think there are any examples across major cities in the UK of that approach ever ending well. No, and I think you're completely right. I I think our worry is, uh, and I'm trying to find the list here of where all the sites are, because we have to, we've got to produce this. And if we... The site of Tipner West is not just the existing land where the firing range is, yep. etc., and and uh, where um, Pounds's um, yard is. Um, the suggestion is to reclaim some of the mudflats um, in the same way that the councils did with Horsey Island, with um, Lakeside, um, uh, with Milton Green, uh, and to build there. And and only then can we get to three and a half thousand. And if that if that doesn't happen, then we're going to have to find space to put it somewhere else. Um, and that means that instead of having 4,000 built on the Tricorn site in the city centre around there, um, it's, it's going to be higher. So we're going to be not talking about 20-storey tower blocks. We're going to be talking about... Uh, 30 and 40 storey tower blocks right in the middle of the city um now i mean i don't want that but if you we we try very hard to protect employment land because that that's people's jobs and it means that people don't have to commute out of the city to get to a job um but if we can't find enough land for residential we're going to have to give up some employment land or else we're going to let have to let developers nibble around the edges of green spaces. So we've got real problems here, and it's a. I think it's a. We're trying to squeeze um, a quart into a pint pot, and it's just not possible to do. But it's what the government forces us to do. It, it does. It 
I mean, but that's the, I guess that's the that's the problem with a with setting such a high bar, isn't it? Is that yeah. if you if you say actually no, we don't want X Y, you know, this develop a particular development that could be the Tipton West development or or you know another one that just increases the pressure of how many homes you need to squeeze in to the other areas, yeah. doesn't it? And to, to caution, yeah. And when you when you kind of, and to be fair, when you look at you know when you look across the across the city, there are some parts of the city that are much more densely populated than actually. And I know overall, we're, we're the second most densely populated mm. city in the in the country. But there are some parts that are that are really really high density um, to the point that actually you can see that that's having a, a, a serious impact on services and on quality of life for residents. Um, and in other places. You can see high density because it's really expensive high-rise building, uh, modern high-rise building. But but seventeen thousand houses over fifteen or, or twenty years—that's that's like isn't that something about the equivalent of about three tower blocks the size of Horatio House every year? Yeah. No, it's no, probably four. <laughs> but it's like where the no, hell? No, no, actually, no. Stop for a home at home. No, that's not true. Okay. I'm getting away. I'm getting ahead of myself. Then no, no, you're underestimating it. Oh, between Horatio and Leamington House, there are 272 flats. Right. Okay. So. So it's 130-ish each. Yep. It's 131 so, each. Yeah, so, um, if you, so, so we're if you talking make... about having to build six or seven of those every year in the city for 20 years. <laughs> It, it I don't think it's a city people want to live in, if I'm honest. No, I completely agree, which is why we think the target should be set locally by local people to address local need. And so I guess... And this is own, the government say this is a, there's a housing need target, but it's all a national formula that has no connection to any local stuff at all. So it, do you think it's a case of, you know... Uh, it's a spreadsheet calculation that says, yes. you know, town population, yes. and there is no, there's no kind of recognition or cognizance or allowance for the fact that part of our challenge as a city is the fact that we're an island. Yep. No, no, they're completely uninterested. Do you think, and again, look, this, this isn't meant to be a leading question, Joe. Do you think there's an element of sabre rattling? You know, there's an well, you've got to make seventeen thousand. Well, I can't make seventeen thousand. You know, and there's a bit of horse trading that goes on. And you know, if you make thirteen thousand, that would probably be enough. Or is it no. a case of if your plan doesn't meet the seventeen thousand, then they fire the starting gun, and you know, King George V playing fields is now up for grabs. And I'm using so, that as an example. Yeah, no, no. So the process that goes on, and, and being frank about it, even with every single site the city council can identify as potentially developable, we still haven't hit 17,000. So We're still going to have to ask our surrounding councils in Fairham, Gospels and Haven and East Hampshire if they'll take a 1,000 of our 17,000 because we can't, we just cannot see where that's possible to do. So... <laughs> Is, so, but 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 in the way in which this is done is we have to produce a long list which will be published next list of all the sites in the city and how many how many houses we think we could get on them. So the government inspector then looks at that list 
and decides if he agrees or not. And he will decide what will happen in Portsmouth. And he will come up with recommendations, which we then have to then put through. So uh, there is very, very little local choice, very, very little local discretion. Um, and government um, planning inspectors are under great pressure not to allow any reductions against the list. There's a South Oxfordshire Council, um, the, um, the the ruling group on South Oxfordshire Council ran on a manifesto to say we don't want all this housing. They won the election. They went to the housing inspector and said, look, we've got a democratic mandate to say we don't want all of this. And he said, I don't care. You're having it anyway. Yes, I saw, I, saw, I think, uh, only a couple of days ago, the development in Oxford, which appeared to be right slap bang in the middle of their city centre, which involved uh, a new bridge being created over the river, and then the hope that we could cram enough bodies into that space to 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 meet the demand. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, Oxford City is again is very very closely drawn, but it, this is a problem for councils across the whole country. So. Um, Government is just obsessed with trying to get more house building. So, um, so j just uh, one thing I'm just trying to get my head around, Gerald. So, obviously, planning approval is a decision taken by by the local planning committee, which is um, members that are elected councillors. Um, so they make in those line with national policy. In, in line with national policy. So, what happens if? The planning committee in the city. So the existing. So there's a variety of um, councillors across from across the mm. political spectrum um, on the planning committee. What happens if the, if for example, Portsmouth City Council's planning committee they they keep refusing planning applications that uh, aim to meet uh, this. What how how because how can they be forced to say yes? Because the planning system is weighted on the side of the developer at every step. So if the local planning committee says no, then developers have the right to go to the planning inspector at the government to overturn the local decision and get given planning permission. It happens all the time. Of course, it doesn't work the other way. If the planning committee in Portsmouth says yes, local residents don't have a right to appeal to planning inspectors and say, no, we don't like this. So everything is weighted on the side of the developer. Um, and they keep saying, oh, we can't, there's not enough land to develop. We know that there are a million plots where planning permission has been given and developers haven't built them. No, and yet they demand more and more and more land to build. No, it was, it, it was fascinating, Gerald. I was, I was watching a program in the week about, um, I can't remember, it's called Britain's Most Expensive Houses or something similar. And, Are you and, buying one, Ian? Uh, I work for a charity now, Gerald. It's uh, it, it's uh, well beyond my... Uh, well, I think Duke of Westminster says he works for a charity as well. Yeah, uh, he probably does, but um, there, there's, a, there's a subtle difference. Um, <laughs> he owns but, the charity. Exactly that. But there was an element, there's an element of the, the number of those properties who were, you know, 10 to 30 million pounds, who, you know, my client will, will buy it as an investment. You know, absolutely, and leave no, it empty. Yeah, oh, no intent to use it as a dwelling no. or even as a second home. No. Simply, you know, in the same way as you as you pointed out with the land, the land has been purchased, um, and and there is no intention to develop on it, 
until you know either until uh, you know it is eye rinsingly profitable to do so or you sell it on at a massive profit and let somebody else do yep. the work yep so so the the requirements that you're talking about, the basically the, the having the plan for the seventeen thousand homes, that isn't then actually linked to whether those homes actually get built. You've just got to have a plan that you could build them. No, no, that is linked. Oh, okay, right, okay, because otherwise that would that would be even be, crazier. Because if you don't build them yeah. enough, yeah. and we won't build enough, because we it just it, it, and unless people are building student um, halls of residence in large numbers. Uh, we, we've never built at that rate. But if you don't build at the rate the government wants, they'll up your targets. So if you don't meet the target, they'll increase it? Yes. Oh, well, this is, this I've is worked for employers stuff. like that. Um, yeah. and, <laughs> and if you continue not to meet it, they'll remove some of the local protections on green spaces and on employment land and let developers build on places that, um, that we've protected in the past. Interesting, you mentioned that Scott Peter Harris mentions in the in the comments about save KG five, so King George V playing fields in, in Cosham. So, uh, are you talking about public open spaces like that would be at risk yeah. if that happened? Yeah, it, it, you won't because we're putting in all weather pitches and KG five and things like that. It, it, that that's okay, but it, uh, as it's been described to me by planning officers, it's about developers nibbling at the edges of our uh, of our green spaces. Mm-hmm. And I guess one of the things you touched on there, uh, you know, we've seen significant student developments. And again, there's a, I, I, we drove into the city last weekend and there was a big billboard up that said luxury student accommodation. Everything you know, is luxury now. Well, of course. Yes, I'm, I'm sure it is. But there's, there's, do you think there's a risk that some of those blocks that have been built there, uh, someone is going to come back to the planning committee fairly soon and say, oh, I'm ever so sorry, Governor. Um, can't get students to fill them. Any chance I can apply of change of use to make them residential? Yes, because they would get an automatic approval because the government have relaxed the standards to allow that to happen, uh, even though they will probably fail the space standards. Yep. Um, and we'll have just created the slums of the future. So that'll be a loophole that developers could, in theory, yeah, use in, in order to yep. get round again, get around the planning, the existing planning restraints. So, that, so in the the block you're talking about, Wingfield House, um, which yep. used to be the tax office, um, uh, the government changed the rules to say um, developers could um, get could develop land that had been office buildings and turn into residential without getting planning permission. Yes, and just do it. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. Well, I, I, and actually, to give them that due, not all of it has been bad. Mm. What it's done is taken out some st- substandard office buildings, but some of the stuff that's been put into them is not great. Um, and it, it's... I worry that we create tower blocks or blocks of flats where you've got tiny rooms mm. for people. And you say that's okay, and that's where you're going to live. Yeah, I mean, it, if I mean, you can. I guess you could argue that if there's close by access to you know public amenities, large public open spaces, uh, and things like that. But if you, I'm just trying to think of the places around the around the city where there are actually some quite large, um, probably quite aging 
or empty office blocks that that possibly are quite ripe for this sort of development they aren't in places where they're actually next to a really large park oh. or they're next to a train station or you know they i mean some of them are uh, i'm thinking of um the one down kixton crescent what was that is it Bal- uh, baltic house opposite um i think so yeah, yeah. and, you know, and there's brunel house down yeah. on the hard yeah so th- those it- sorts of places but they're already in quite you know you if you suddenly fill them with yeah people um as a dwelling that that's a lot that's a lot of demand in in yeah. the existing services in those areas isn't it and 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 having to share cooking space yep yeah six Excellent. people with one with one one communal room which is also where you cook it may be okay as a student it's not oh, it's, it's not a... how we've we've lived no, but I, 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 I think it does. It, it echoes back, doesn't it, to the, to that piece, you know, in the sixties or seventies, where we built these tower blocks and we, you know, it, it was designed living, living, and it was all going to be the brave new dawn. And you put couples in there, and everything was okay for the first few years, and then couples had children, and then a couple of children, and then it wasn't right, and then you got nothing for the children, and that leads to antisocial behaviour, and what you end up with is 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 a ghetto. So, oh, Gerald, it's also an well, it's, and it's an inefficient ghetto as yes. well. If you look at housing density, the place that's got the highest housing density in the city is Fratton, because the Victorian terraces yep. are much more efficient than tower blocks in Somerstown. And actually, if you go and talk to people, most people want to live in Fratton with their own front door. Out onto the street, their own bit of garden. Maybe it's very small yard at the back, but it's their own space. Um, instead of living in tower blocks in Somerstown, um, and actually the Victorians could teach us a thing or two. Well, well, one of the things they say about history, isn't it, is that you know it repeats itself, but sometimes we don't learn from it. Mm. Same could be said for curry. <laughs> yes. Well. And I, I think on that, um, yeah. And I think on, bolt, on that, on that bombshell, that on that bolty base <laughs> bombshell, you've been listening to the Pompey Politics podcast. I've been Ian Tiny Morris. Our guest has been Gerald Bernard Jackson, leader of the City Council, and I've been Simon Sansbury. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pompey Politics podcast. If you want to make sure you get notifications about upcoming shows and get to know when we're live, when the then follow us on Facebook at Pompey Politics Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Pompey Politics One. Please, if you'd like to, feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts, and you can even ask Alexa to play the podcast for you. Alexa, play the latest episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. Getting Pompey Politics podcast from Amazon Music. Alexa, the latest episode. Stop. See, it's easy.